good morning again. Um, if I could say uh, one more thing just about like teeth brushing and all that stuff. Um, you know what's really gross is um, our masks and you like you put your mask on and you're like, man, I didn't realize my breath was that bad. And then, yeah, so maybe some of us should probably keep wearing these once the virus is over. Just keep, keep going with it. Um, well, a few weeks ago, we began uh, this sermon series uh, on the book of Philippians, and it's called Joyful. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Philippians uh, verse 1, or chapter 1, rather, verses 18 through 21. We looked at kind of half of 18 last week. We're going to look at kind of the second half of verse 18 through verse 21 today. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to head there, as I said a few weeks ago. Um, if you don't own a Bible, I would love to give one to you if you want to steal one. And that's your thing. God forgives, but there are consequences to your sin. But if you steal one and you get caught, if you get caught, you don't come to our church. You go to Groton Bible Chapel. And your pastor is Gary Campbell. He has a goatee, good-looking guy. Um, he'll bail you out, not me. Okay. But here's where we're going this morning. Here's where we're going this morning. Just simple point. It's all about Jesus. That's it. It's all about Jesus. So I'm going to read for us uh, Philippians 1, 18 through 21. It's all about Jesus. You might be thinking right now, whether you're sitting here or watching online, what is it? It's all about Jesus. What is it? Everything. That's the it. Everything is about Jesus. Life and death is about Jesus. So let me read this passage for us. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Church of Philippi, and he's writing to us as well. He said, yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation, or your translation might say deliverance. Through your prayers and the help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. But now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Then verse 21, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word, your Bible, scripture that you've given to us. Thank you that it's true, and it changes lives. And we pray this morning, God, it'll change our lives. God, would you move supernaturally in each one of us, show us how much we need you. Show us, God, the sin in this world, but even more, maybe show us the sin in our own lives, in our own hearts. Show us, God, where we're hypocritical, where we're judgmental. Show us, God, where we lack compassion and grace and mercy. And show us, Jesus, that we need you. If we want to be more compassionate, if we want to be more loving, more gracious, more kind, more merciful, we need to rest in you because without you, we kind of get in the way of even ourselves. So God, do a mighty work in us, we pray, Jesus. Amen. 
I am a fan of the first three Star Wars movies. The real ones. Not the ones with the Jar Jar Binks and all that nonsense. The real ones. Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. We watched The Empire Strikes Back as a family a little while ago, and uh, I asked my daughters, I think, if they had ever seen it, and I couldn't remember the name of it. It just wasn't coming to me, and I said, you know, the snow one, because that's what we called it when I was a kid, the one with the snow. We thought it was so cool, but anyhow. I remember when I was six years old, actually, with The Empire Strikes Back, I was six years old, and some of this, your dad may have done this with you. My dad was good at breaking the law. This was one of those times. Um, my dad put myself and my older brother in the trunk of the car, and we went to the drive-in, and he only paid for he and my mom, and before we died in the trunk, he pulled us out to watch The Empire Strikes Back. I was six years old and watched The Empire Strikes Back. came out in uh, 1980. Well, a month or so ago, um, we as a family, much to Jenny's chagrin, because she hates sci-fi, any sort of Star Wars or anything like that, uh, we watched Star Wars, the original one, A New Hope. And there's a scene, and I remember it because I've seen it like a thousand times, but there's a scene where Han Solo's ship, the Millennium Falcon, remember that thing? is under attack by the enemy fighters, and, and Han and, and Luke, Luke Skywalker, are blasting their guns away at the enemy. And Princess Leia, you know, she had the, the cool little hair. Remember that? Some of you need to do that next week. <laughs> I'll bring you up here. Okay. But they're blasting their guns away, and Princess Leia comes over the intercom, and you might remember this scene. She says, we've lost the lateral controls. And Han Solo like emphatically responds, right? Like he yells out, don't worry, she'll hold us together. And then he kind of whispers under his breath and he like pats it. He goes, you hear me, baby? <laughs> hold together. I love that scene because uh, I can relate to that scene. Let me explain. Here's another awkward pastoral transition. I feel like some days... I'm Han Solo, and my life is the Millennium Falcon. That's how I feel some days. My life is under fire. I'm praying. I'm patting that somehow, some way, everything is going to hold together. And I know you can relate, too. I know you can as well because you're a human being. And you feel the same way I do sometimes. Life kind of unravels, and it gets really confusing, and we're hoping and praying that somehow, some way, it's going to stay together. Now, we need to know that day by day, moment by moment, you can't hold everything together. You can't. Maybe just because of the frenziness of your life, or... I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, so I'm going to tell you the truth. You can't hold it all together because of the sin that's in you and the sin that's around you. But there is someone who can hold it together, and his name is Jesus. See, we don't need lateral controls. <laughs> you don't need light speed, or you don't even need a deflector shield around your life. Although, that would be awesome. 
Let me tell you, especially when people are hurling the insults and they're doing their thing against you. It would be pretty cool if you had those deflector shields and it, pow, and then hit them. Take that, sucker. See, we need, we need Jesus. See, the, the problem is we often go to work, we go to school, we go to the gym, and, and so on in our lives thinking we don't need him. We don't need God. We cannot lose sight of this truth that it truly is all about Jesus. We cannot forget that it's Jesus who pursues us. He's the one that comes after us. Like any of us that are Christians in this room, it's not by your merit. Like none of us were looking for God. When I was 19 years old, following God and being a pastor was the farthest thing from my mind. It is God who pursues us. It's God who changes us. It's God who saves us and transforms us. And it's God who will eventually completely restore us. See, regardless of the circumstances of our lives, Jesus will hold us together because we are his beloved sons and daughters. Now, we, we got to remember, and I've said this like countless times uh, throughout the last several weeks, and I know Tyler mentioned it as well when he preached two weeks ago, but we cannot forget that the Apostle Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. I'm going to say it again. The Apostle Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. And you'll hear me say it again in a few minutes. We cannot lose sight of that. So he's writing this letter in prison. And he has joy. He actually says that throughout the letter. And even in the passage I read this morning. Well, how can he have joy while he's sitting in prison? Jesus. See, joy is found living our lives regardless of the circumstances of our lives for the glory and the sake of Jesus Christ. So look at the first half of verse 18. Look at this first half. In the first half of verse 18, I don't know if we have it up there. That's fine. But if we don't, I'm going to read it for us. The Apostle Paul said, what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And in the second half, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. See, in the first half, the Apostle Paul's joy was focused on his present situation. He's in prison, but he's delighted that the gospel, the name and the fame of Jesus, is continuing to go forward. So he's finding joy even while he's sitting in prison. Now, when you read the second half of verse 18, what I just read a few minutes ago, you'll notice that there's a shift in the tone and also the verb tenses. I'm not going to get all English grammar on you here, but notice the future tense here. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So I'm rejoicing in the present, but I'm going to continue to rejoice. His joy is future-focused. In other words, no matter what happens to him, he knows that Jesus is sovereign, Jesus is in control, not him. Now, I've mentioned this just a few seconds ago, and I'm going to mention it again, as I said. We cannot gloss over the fact, the reality, that the Apostle Paul is in prison. Jail. The big house. Con College. I don't know if you ever heard that one. That was a new one to me. Our friend Stanley, who was in prison several times, who's now with the Lord, used to call it the penthouse. Not penthouse, 
P-E-N house. See, Paul is experiencing joy while in a tragic and desperate circumstance. Throughout the Bible, we find countless stories and verses that reveal the connection between joy and trials. You read throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, there is a distinction, or there's a connection, rather, between joy and trials. Here's just one passage, and you'll see how it goes hand in hand. So this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. If you were brought up in a Catholic background, just a side note, they teach that Jesus had no other siblings. Yes, he did. It's in the Bible. But that's for another day. But here is James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that, they, that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now quickly notice this. James does not say if you experience various trials. He doesn't say that. He says whenever you experience various trials. So the assumption is, You will face trials and troubles in your life. But yet so often we as human beings, and even more as Christians, this is one of the reasons why I'm convinced a lot of us, maybe even as Christians, I want to step on your toes just a little bit. This is why I'm convinced that even as like so many Christians, we don't read our Bibles. Because if we read our Bibles, we would know this, that when a trial or a situation that comes into our lives, like, affects us adversely, why are we so surprised and shocked? If Jesus was beaten to a pulp and crucified, why would we expect better than our King, our Lord, our Savior? James did not write, if you experience various trials, but whenever, this side of heaven, there will be trials. But notice what James says here. There is a purpose behind your pain and struggles. There's a reason for it. Ultimately, your pain and struggles give God glory as you stand fast and stand firm in your faith. But as you stand fast and firm in your faith, maturity also comes. Spiritual growth comes. I'm not saying it's easy. It is really, really hard. Or as some of you like saying up here, particularly people from Massachusetts, it's wicked hot. It's wicked hot. But here is the Apostle Paul. Did I do that right? Wicked hot? That was good. I thought it was pretty good. I was practicing this morning. Brushing my teeth with my gross toothbrush. Anyhow. So as Paul sat in this cold, kind of cramped, like stench-filled prison, He didn't know the direction of his life. I mean, he says that. We're going to get to that in a minute. He doesn't know the direction of his life. He doesn't know if he's going to live another day or if he's going to die. Is he going to be set free or are they going to kill him in the prison cell? He has no idea. But in life or in death, he found a reason to rejoice. Well, how? How when the bottom is falling out can you find joy? Jesus. 
find joy in Jesus because this isn't all there is. If this is all there is for us, oh my, we're in a bad way. Yo, man, about a month? Oh my gosh. I told Jenny already, we're moving to Panama. I'm out of here. Because it's about to get crazy up in here in about a month. It already is. But see, we're enabled and we're empowered to rejoice because Jesus is alive. He is our greatest treasure, and he's a living and eternal treasure. A treasure worth living for and dying for. That's a whole other sermon. But Jesus is the only gift that you have that will never perish, never fade away. See, rejoicing in God, regardless of our circumstances, shows up as we walk by faith, not by sight. It's trusting in him. Now, remember when we were going through the series in Habakkuk, just like four or five weeks ago. It wasn't that long ago. But you, but you remember Habakkuk. Remember in chapter 1, he's crying out to God because everything is falling apart around him, right? The Babylonians are coming in. They're laying siege to the land. They're about to take over Jerusalem. Habakkuk is just weeping and crying and wailing because he's like, my land, my people, they're, gosh, it's a mess. And God looks at Habakkuk and speaks to Habakkuk in this vision. He's like, Habakkuk, I know it's bad, but it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Those aren't comforting words, are they? But sometimes we have, to, we have to face up to those words, that it might get worse before it gets better. So then we find in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, you remember this. Do you remember his response? He says, though the fig trees do not bud and there is no fruit on the vines. In other words, everything's dying. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. <sighs> How much differently our lives would look if we lived that way. How much more appealing would you as a Christian look to the watching world as you're facing struggles and trials if you live that way? See, as the Apostle Paul looked out at his future, he had no idea what was coming. Again, as I just said, you have no idea what's coming even this afternoon. But here he is sitting in a prison. He had no idea what was coming. Maybe life. Maybe death. But through it all, he rejoiced. Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So I just want to pause just for a quick second. What is your response to maybe a current circumstance in your life? What's your response to what's going on around you? What about as you even look out at the future, the, the unknown future? What's your response? Are you praying or are you pouting? Are you rejoicing or complaining? Look, at, look again at verses 18b, the second half of the verse, and 19. Paul wrote, yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation or deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Again, Paul had no idea what was coming in the future, but he knew one thing. And he knew this one thing without a doubt. I know, he said, I know. 
It's emphatic. I know this will lead to my salvation. Now, it's interesting to note here that Paul took this phrase right there. I know this will lead to my salvation. That phrase, he took verbatim, verbatim from the Old Testament figure, Job. Now, even if you don't know really the story of Job at all, if you're a Gen Xer like me, you might even remember the smashing pumpkin song, Bullets with Butterfly Wings, and Billy Corgan actually sings about poor old Job being cool and calm. In other words, even Billy Corgan, this whack job, noticed that even when Job lost everything, he was cool. And I don't mean cool like, hey, like the Fonz. Some of you are like, what? The fa- Who's the Fonz? Sorry, I'm dating myself again. He wasn't cool like, I don't know, Kanye. Well, some of you don't even think he's cool. I think he's cool. But he, he wasn't, not, like Billy Corey wasn't saying cool like that. He's like, he's like cool, calm, collected. See, when Job lost everything, he was cool, he was calm. Everything was taken from Job. And in Job 13, he cries out, Job cries out and says, even if he, even if God kills me, even if God takes my life, I will hope in him. He said, I will still defend my ways before him. Verse 16. Yes, this will result in my salvation. That's what Job said. I've lost everything. I might even lose my life. But I'm still going to rejoice in God. So as Paul is sitting in prison, he quotes Job. And he believes that God is going to save him. And I hope and I pray that all of us will believe that as well because that's what God is in the business of doing, is saving you. Now, salvation or deliverance might not look like how you expect it to look, but that's what God does. He saves, he delivers. Now, this is interesting to see, but Paul said that his salvation would come to pass through, did you notice this? The Philippians' prayers and from the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, somehow, someway, prayer connects us to God's presence. I think this is still an incredible mystery to me. And I like to think of myself as a student of God's Word and a student of theology, and I've studied Scripture for 20-some years, and it still baffles me how my feeble words somehow go from here to my heart to my mind, out of my mouth, and somehow, someway, God hears them, and then... God responds to them. It just just blows my mind every single time I think about it. See, through our prayers and according to God's will and purposes, things happen. God moves. He changes people and he changes circumstances. I'm living proof of that. And so are some of you. And the situations, maybe in circumstances of your life, you can look at how God has supernaturally moved in your life. And maybe you either gave credit to him or you didn't, but the reality is God still moved. So the question becomes, are you praying? 
And not only are you speaking to God, are you praying to him, but are you actively listening to God? Because prayer matters. It truly does. See, earlier in chapter 1, Paul communicated that he prayed for the church at Philippi. You might remember this. In verse 20, he said that. He said, I pray to you every time I think of you. I pray about you. I pray for you. And then here he's asking the church for prayers. So you can remember, we looked at this in verse 1, but how the church was founded, right? The church was founded with, with a wealthy woman named Lydia and her family. The church was founded in Philippi with a, a young girl that was delivered from slavery, 13, 14, 15 years old. The church was founded with a former jailer that came to faith in Jesus Christ and his family. So Paul is asking those three families, those three people, as well as everyone else now that is a part of this church 10 years later, he's saying, please, would you pray for me? Lydia, pray for me. Sally, I don't know her, whatever her name was. Sally, would you pray for me? Slave girl, would you pray for me? Jailer, family, would you pray for me? I need it. Now notice that the apostle Paul doesn't say that he only needs the prayers of the people. He also needs help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. This is where it is crazy. Mysteriously, somehow, some way, God takes your human words, and then he takes this human and this divine thing, and somehow he brings it together. He doesn't need us. See, here's what's wild. God doesn't need us to move or to take action. God doesn't even really need our prayers. He's inviting us to pray. He's inviting us to share in this experience with him, this partnership. Now, because the Philippians prayed and because of the work of the Spirit of Christ, Paul believed that deliverance would come, that salvation would come. It would come either by life, meaning he would be delivered from prison, or it would come by death. Because Paul realized, and I hope you do as a Christian in this room, and if you don't know this, it's a beautiful truth as uh, a gift that you receive as a Christian. But when you die as a Christian, you will experience eternal life with God. Complete and utter bliss. Perfection. So Paul is like, eh, if I get delivered from prison, awesome. If God takes my life in prison, if it's my time, awesome. Because I'm going to be with him in glory. He said, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. But now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So the Apostle Paul's desire, and I hope ours is as well, was that Jesus would be honored. See, Paul wanted his life to matter. He wanted to make a difference with his life. It was all about Jesus. And because of that, he did not want to be ashamed about anything. Just a quick note on shame. We don't have time to get into this a whole lot this morning. This is a whole other sermon. But shame comes, believe it or not, when you sin. This is this kind of idea of common grace that is in every single one of us. Whether you're following Jesus or not, you know because God has embedded it in your heart, right and wrong. That's why when you sin or you fall short of the glory of God, you're like, I feel kind of icky. <laughs> you feel icky because you wronged God. You maybe hurt someone else. 
See, shame comes when we dishonor God by what we do. Notice this. By what we do and by what we don't do. You ever have that icky feeling? You're in a situation and you have a choice to make and you decide, well, I don't want to do that and maybe that was the right decision and you walked away going, oh, man, I dropped the ball on that one. See, shame comes when we make much of ourselves too and we make very little of Jesus. But there's a remedy, and it's found in preaching the gospel to ourselves. See, it's all about Jesus. Jesus lived the life you could never live. He died on the cross for all of your sins, past, present, and future. He rose from the dead to give you life both now and for eternity. And in that life, you can experience joy. See, shame comes when we make life all about us. Joy comes when you make life about Jesus because it's all about him. So Paul here is unashamed, unashamed, sitting in prison towards the end of his life, unashamed. Don't forget, this is Paul, known before as Saul, the one who killed Christians, who beat women and children because they believed in Jesus. Here he is in prison with no shame. How? Jesus. That's it. There's no other explanation for that. See, I mean, notice here, though, you know, as we're, we're kind of working through this passage, Paul wanted to live well, and he wanted to die well. There are times in life, and maybe even this morning is one of them, sorry for the morbid thought, but sometimes you think about life and you think about death. You will not live forever. I hope you know that. You won't, no matter what you do. What truly matters in your life? Like when I ask that question, what truly matters in your life? What is it? Will you leave a legacy when you move on? And if so, what will that legacy look like? And I don't mean a legacy in, a, in an insurance policy. I don't mean it in a will. I don't mean it in a house or a car. But leaving a legacy in the way of will you die well? Will you die making much of Jesus? You know, there's that horrible scene, right? At the end of Schindler's List. If you've ever seen it, if you haven't, that's okay. But where he's crying out at the end of the movie, here he is, he's, he's saved thousands and thousands of Jews and he's, he's crying and he's wallowing at the end of the war going, I could have done more. I could have done, I don't want any of us to look back at the end of our lives going, I could have done more, I should have done more. See, if you want to live well, make your life about Jesus. You want to die well, Make your life about Jesus. Morbid thought. I've shared it before. I'll do it again. There is a vast difference between standing by someone's bedside that is going to be with Jesus and those that aren't. It's incredibly sad. 
And I pray that each and every one of you will give your lives to Jesus and not experience the sadness that will come. See, Paul knew he would soon be standing before a Roman official. And he's saying, I need courage. I need faith. I need Jesus, because I have no idea what's coming. So through it all, he's saying, Paul, or, or Paul is saying, God is going to be highly honored. He said, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, we need to make note here of Paul's self-forgetfulness. In this moment, it's all about Jesus, not about him. And I'm convinced some of the problems in our lives right now, all of us, myself included, some of the problems that we experience in our lives is because we think too much about ourselves. We don't think about God enough and we don't think about others enough. Author and pastor Tim Keller down in New York City who's going through cancer treatment right now wrote this little book. And it's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And I know not all of us are readers, but listen, this sucker's like 40 pages. And look at that font. I mean, it's huge. You could probably read it from there. This book will change your life. Listen to just one of the quotes. He said, the essence of gospel humility, or following God, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Leave that on up there just for a minute because that's a mind bender. But in other words, it's all about Jesus. See, the Bible is full of these weird paradoxes. And here is one of them. If you make everything in your life about Jesus and not yourself you actually experience joy in your life. So as you learn how to empty yourself and make less of yourself, you actually experience more joy. And that's why Paul could write, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now we're going to look a little bit more at that next week because that's another like, whoa, go make you go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, that verse. But what he's saying there is, God is my all-consuming focus. I'm all about him. Whether in prison or out of prison, it's all about God. See, here's what's wild. Some people want heaven. Well, let's be honest. All people want heaven. But they don't want Jesus. All people want heaven, but they don't want Jesus. Jesus. Do you know what heaven is? Jesus! If... Hmm, here's where I start preaching. Tame myself a little bit. Listen. If you don't want to worship Jesus on a Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes, you don't want to be in heaven. You don't want it. Because singing, dancing, clapping, Reading the Bible, worshiping God is what heaven will be. Will you be working? Yes. Will it be work that you love? Yes. Will you see loved ones? Absolutely. 
Will you be doing some crazy things in heaven? Um, listen, there's going to be cannolis in heaven. Lots of cannolis. <laughs> Meatballs, the whole deal. I just won't get fat. But listen, above all of the, like, the beauty that heaven is going to bring for us, and the perfected bodies that we're going to experience, these sinless, perfect bodies, above all of that is worshiping Jesus. And if, if this ain't cool now for you, it ain't ever going to be cool. Because you can't have heaven without Jesus. See, if we don't want much to do with him now, then why do we want heaven? We're going to be awfully bored. Like, <laughs> is Paul going to stop preaching sometime today? He's been going longer than Pastor Darren used to back in the day. See, it's always been and will always be about Jesus. Now, I want to close here, and the worship team can come up, but I want to close here just with a few thoughts for you kind of personally where you are. What's your life about? What's your life, like personally right now, think about what your life is about. Are you restless? Are you tired? Are you ashamed? Then I want to challenge you this morning to, to, to come to Jesus. He said plainly in John 10.10, a passage that I love that I've shared, gosh, hundreds of times up here. I have come so that they, you, may have life and have it in abundance. He's sharing there about life here and here and now, but also for eternity. And some of us, I have no doubt you're thinking this again because you're a human being. But I've done so many things wrong. I have so much shame. I'm, I'm so tired. I'm so worn out. I've made everything in my life about me. How could Jesus love me? Grace. See, God is a God of grace. He's a God of love. But God showed his great love for us by sending his son Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. See, you come to Jesus, not all cleaned up. You come to Jesus dirty. You come to Jesus feeling like something's a little off because you've been using the wrong toothbrush. But Jesus can cleanse you, and he can make you well. So today, right now, whether you're here this morning or watching at home, if you feel like God is leading you to himself, just pray a simple prayer. God, I, I surrender my life to you, and I need you. And I know that you and only you can give me the joy that my heart and my mind are longing for. And I want heaven, but I want you in the here and now as well. See, for those of us, too, that are followers of Jesus, we need to be reminded of this as well, because it's so easy to forget the gospel. It really is. It's so easy to focus on politics. 
It's so easy to focus on a virus. It's so easy to focus on all of the stuff we have to do tomorrow. Or maybe trouble with our children or parents or whatever it is. Paul reminds us in the book of Colossians. It's kind of my life verse. And I fall short of this, I do. Whatever you do, he said. Whatever you do. In word or in deed, so in how you speak, how you live. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. So in every place and in every way, it's all about Jesus. And we honor him and we glorify him and we thank him for the life that he has given us. This life, right now, the life that you are living and leading. Thank him and praise him and give glory to him for the life that you will yet experience. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and I'm going to lead us in a quick prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. And we come before you right now, worshiping you as our God and our King. Jesus, move in us.